Well, good morning. I hope you are well today and uh, look forward to the next little bit that we get to spend together. And if you've been around for very long or you've heard me communicate or know me very well, you know that I am uh, an Aggie. I did go to school at Texas A&M. But what you may be interested, I'm okay with that. I can, I can, that's, that's encouraging. But what's interesting and what you probably don't know is that I didn't grow up a huge fan of A&M. In fact, I was actually a Longhorn fan for a long time and I know that that's discouraging to some of you. Some of you are like, okay, I can get on board with this guy a little bit more than I ever could in the past. Um, but before I went to Texas A&M, I had some friends that were going to school there, and they invited me to join them for a weekend. And it was a, a weekend, there was a football game, and they wanted me to specifically join them at this thing that they call yell practice. And what it is, is it's simply, um, it's kind of an on-campus pep rally that happens on, at midnight the night before the big game, and all the student body and people in town get together, and they do some yells, do some, some, some really pretty cheesy things, um, and then um, gets to the end and something interesting happens. And the reason I tell you that is because when I was walking in with my friends on this particular night, I'd never been before, I didn't know a lot about Texas A&M, and they're prepping me for yell practice. They said, hey, they're going to do a bunch of things, but most importantly, at the end, there's going to be a moment where the lights are going to go out and everybody's going to mug down. And I immediately got a little bit anxious. Um, Now, I knew what it meant to mug down, but not in this context, not with tens of thousands of other people. It it, it honestly, it felt a little weird to me, and I was like, well, this doesn't sound good at all, and they're like, no, man, it's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, it's awesome for you because you have a date. I don't. I'm walking in here single and lonely, okay? And so I just immediately, my mind began to kind of race and anxiety began to go wild in my mind as I began to anticipate the moment when those lights were gonna go out. And I started having these what-if scenarios play through my mind. I don't know what else happened to the rest of the night leading up to that moment. I just started thinking things like, what if my breath is just terrible? Like, when was the last time I brushed my teeth? And, you know, thinking things like that. What's gonna happen if somebody actually walks up to me? Is it gonna be awesome? <laughs> I'm be like, oh, hey, <laughs> Or is it gonna be, uh, because here's what happens, and I left out this detail, what you do is if you don't have a date, there's actually something you're supposed to do. You're supposed to hold up a cigarette lighter, and then everybody who doesn't have a date looks for other cigarette lighters, and you find someone to mug down with, okay? So that my anticipation for this moment was crazy. And I started thinking, well, what if, what if nobody finds me? What if I'm the only one in the stadium standing there like a creep, just watching everybody else mug down? I mean, that's not a good scenario. What if someone finds me that I'm not really, you know, all excited about? It's like, oh, hey, <coughs> mono, sorry, I mean, you know, this just, just isn't going to work, you know, it just, it's going to be uncomfortable. My blood pressure probably began to rise, my armpits got sweaty, and I anticipated this to be not a very good experience. And so when that moment came and the lights went out, I just, man, I just, I just did this. <laughs> I just looked down at my toes and said, don't make eye contact, so let's not make this weird. And I'll be honest with you, even though I ended up going to school there, that wasn't the reason. I wasn't like, man, that was awesome. And I'll be honest with you now, even looking back, it's still kind of weird to me that tens of thousands of people gather together and all make out at this one particular time. It's just kind of strange. You got, you know, moms and dads there visiting and you're mugging down with your date. It's just weird. But the reason I tell you that story is because it's interesting to me to reflect back and think about at the flip of a switch, the anxiety that began to take over my life. And we all have triggers. We've got triggers in our lives that begin to stir this anxiety. We begin to anticipate what is coming up, anticipating what is ahead. I don't know what it is for you. I know what some of my triggers are. Maybe some of these are yours. Maybe for you it's traffic. You see brake lights and immediately blood pressure begins to rise. You have a commute up 290 and you, I know it's, it's not good. If I have to go past Barker Cypress, I'm grumpy. Maybe for others it's just noise. 
You just need everybody to just be quiet. <laughs> you're like, is the noise gonna ever stop? Maybe for some it's church. It's walking into a room like this and you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is uncomfortable. This is, this is nerve wracking. I don't know what to think about this. Maybe for some of you, you walked in the door and then you saw me walk on the stage and you're like, oh my gosh, it's not the main guy. Where's Mark? I'm here to listen to Mark and Wes is on the stage which begins to play on my anxiety because every time somebody gets up while I'm teaching, I'm like, oh gosh, they wish Mark was here. Mark's so much better than me. And my anxiety begins to go crazy. I begin to have these crazy imaginations. Listen, that's not me telling you to stay in your seat. Listen, if you've got an emergency, you gotta go, go, okay? The, the alternative could be even worse. But we've got these triggers. Maybe for some it's family, family dynamics. What's the family gonna look like? Kids are stepping into their teenage years. You begin to worry. You begin to stress out about what that's gonna look like. Maybe it's finances. You begin to look forward to the day where you could just say that you are broke because broke would be an improvement from where you are currently. It's like, man, I just wanna be able to say that I'm broke. Maybe it's work. You've got the nine to five job, but nine to five really doesn't provide adequate time to do everything that you need to do. The emails continue to come in, the notifications continue to come up on your phone. Maybe for some it's success. I mean, you think back and there was a day where it was like, man, I just can't wait to find that special somebody. And there was anxiety about that. And then you found that special somebody and you're like, man, I just wanna get married. And then you got married and you're like, man, I just wanna have kids. And then you're like, man, I'm not sure we're gonna be able to have kids. Or you begin to have kids. You're like, man, I just can't wait till they continue to grow up. And then it's just stress, stress, stress. And you begin to look back and you think, man, I wish I was just single because this is just all overwhelming. I mean, is anybody in the room this morning struggling with anxiety? Okay, awesome, three. <laughs> That's, that helps my anxiety level this morning. I want us to dive in, I want us to talk about this, but I wanna be careful and I wanna say this before we dive in. I don't want to assume that everybody is struggling with anxiety in the way that I do or the way that somebody else does in this room. And I know that there are some of us in the room that we struggle with anxiety because there is a physiological makeup in our bodies that causes that. Or maybe the anxiety comes from a traumatic experience or a traumatic relationship. And so I wanna be careful this morning as we walk through this to not just lump all anxiety together and throw in the same pile because for some of us this morning, as we talk about anxiety and stress and worry, for some of us this is just beginning to scratch the surface because there's some deep-rooted issues that are stirring this in your life. And I'm excited because I know that for some, this may not be enough, but we have some resources here at Community of Faith. We have some ways to point you to places that can find that help for you. Our counseling center is equipped to walk with you through that as long as it takes. And so maybe um, let's just kind of scratch the surface for some of us. For some of us tonight, today is exactly what we need to hear. And so what I wanna do is I wanna look at a passage in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 24, and I wanna see what Jesus has to say about anxiety. And then from there, I want us to look at a specific practical step that you and I can take as we look at Philippians that we can put into practice today, this week, to begin to fight back and push back this anxiety in our life. Let's look at Matthew chapter six. I wanna read through this whole passage and then we're gonna go back and kind of reflect on bits and pieces of it as we go. But it says this, Jesus is talking about this in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, his most important message, his most important sermon, and right in the middle of it is this talk on anxiety. Look what it says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, 
that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, he will not, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, and then when he says Gentiles, he's speaking to the people who maybe don't look at God or have the same view of God as those that are following him and that are trusting God. And so he says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, Jesus, I think, shares a few thoughts with us that I think we can take and and hold on to to understand anxiety in our life. The first one is this. Anxiety exposes my inadequate view of God. Anxiety exposes my inadequate view of God. You know, I think we could all probably land in the same place. If we kind of started to share what is anxiety, we would probably land somewhere with this understanding that anxiety is an emotion that's caused by the uncertainty in life. But I think Jesus goes a little bit different direction as we see in this passage. We'll unpack this and uncover it. But I think what he's trying to get us to recognize is that anxiety is an emotion that is connected to what we most deeply desire. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying whatever it is that you're most devoted to is most likely the source of your greatest anxiety, stress, or worry. He's saying, you wanna know what it is that's causing the stress and anxiety? What is it that you're most devoted to? And that word devoted simply means something like this. To be devoted to something means that I'm devoting the most energy. I am chasing after this with the most emotion, resources, affection, all that I have. I am running after this thing. I am most devoted to this. This would be number one in my life. That is what I'm most devoted to. Let me help us understand it with this way. Um, I had a friend this week that um, texted me and then even talked to me last weekend about a potential job opportunity he had coming up. And he said, hey man, will you pray for this? I've got this job and I really want this promotion. I think it's gonna be really good for me and my family. And I said, yeah, man, I'll pray for you. And I'll be honest with you, 10 minutes later, I forgot about it. I wasn't thinking about it, not because I don't care, because I care about this for him and I care about him, but I didn't lose any sleep this week over this potential job promotion for my friend because I'm not devoted to it like he is. You see, you can care about something and not be devoted to it, but he's more devoted to it than I am. Let's think about your kids. I care about your kids, but I'm not worried about their grades in school or how they perform in an athletic competition. You don't care about my kids' grades. You're not, you, you might care, but you're not devoted to it. You're not losing sleep about it every night when you lay your head down on your pillow. Jesus wants to show us something, and I think he's honing in on this idea that we worry about what it is that's most important to us, what we're most committed to. And so in verse 25, when he says, for this reason I say to you, he says, for this reason, for what reason? For what he just said in verse 24. He's talking about two masters. He says, you can't serve two. You can't serve God, and then he drops the big one in our lap. He says, you can't serve God and money. He goes straight to money. It's like, man, really, he's gotta go there? Like, why, why has he gotta go there? Because even 2,000 years ago, 
This was one of the things, just like it is today, that is one of the, the areas in our life that we find ourselves most devoted to. And when you decide that money is the number one ingredient to a happy, good life, you will devote your time, your energy, your emotions to that. You're obsessed with getting more of it. You're obsessed with saving it. You're obsessed with spending it. And so he uses these illustrations. He begins to talk about birds and lilies to try to help us see what's happening in this scenario. He talks about the birds in verse 26. He says, they don't save. I mean, he's speaking to those of you that struggle with this idea that I can't save enough. I've got to continue to save. And he's speaking into what we look for, for security in our life. And he's saying, look at the birds. They don't store up for themselves, yet God continues to provide for their needs every single day. But then he begins to address the ones that like to spend by looking at lilies of the field. And he's saying, hey, listen, they don't clothe themselves, they don't work, they don't labor to try to make themselves look beautiful. God has made them as beautiful as possible. They didn't have to do any of that for themselves and he's addressing this pursuit to try to spend, to try to stick, to stick up with all the rest of the people in the world, to try to look a certain way so people will value us, they will see us as beautiful, they will see that our life has weight. And he begins to press in on this and he begins to use these two illustrations in our lives and he asks this question and listen, what he's saying is he's not saying that it's a bad thing for you to save. He's not saying that it's a bad thing for you to spend. Go buy the boat, go buy the new house. What he's saying is, is to be careful that you don't become devoted to those things. And by being devoted to those things, you look to those things for your security, for your beauty, for your worth. And then he contrasts it. At the end of the passage in verse 33, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So he says, don't be devoted to the money but seek first his kingdom. This is where that inadequate view of God comes into play. Because what he's saying, he's saying, we have a tendency to look at God and to view God as just another gift with all the other things in this world. You see, you could take money out of this story and you could replace it with anything else in our life. Anything else that God has entrusted us with, anything else that God has gifted to us, our family, relationships, education, our career, everything in our life was intended to be a gift, something God entrusted us with so that we would ultimately be pointed to his goodness, to his perfection, to him as the creator, as the God. But what we do is oftentimes we mistaken those things and we begin to elevate them in the place of God. And they were never intended to be there. And when we begin to devote our time, our energy, our resources, our affection, our emotion into those things rather than God, anxiety stirs in our lives. And Jesus is trying to warn us. You see, for most of us, the problem is not our problems. The problem is our anxiety we deal with that is wrecking havoc on our life because we've elevated some of the things that he's given us, that he's trusted to us, and we've raised them to a place in our life they were never intended to be. And so when you think about your education, a gift that God has given us, something that we have accessible to us in the United States, when you begin to elevate that to the place it's not supposed to be, then you begin to see dishonesty in your life. You begin to cheat on the test. You begin to copy other people's homework students because that's become an obsession for you. It's become a God in your life. Maybe it's relationships. God has blessed us with relationships. But when we place that at the top of our life, then we begin to compromise. We begin to settle because we've elevated it to a place it was never intended to be. 
Jesus is wanting us to see this. He's wanting us to recognize what the problem really is. And it's not the things that we have in our life that's the problem. It's the anxiety about those things because we've seen those things as potentially a God. And we've lost sight of who God really is. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The second thing I think he wants us to see is this, is that anxiety exposes my inadequate view of me. It exposes an inadequate view of me. And these two points kind of play off each other. They build onto each other. You know, it's interesting as you begin to walk through this passage, he begins talking about God. But as he continues to refer to God, he doesn't just say that he's God. He begins to talk about him as a heavenly father. You see, we could stop at that first point and say that God is great, that God is good, that he created all things and that he can supply every need. But if we stopped right there, we would begin to think that God is this some far off distant creator God that produced all these things, created all these things, and then kind of left us on our own to do whatever we needed to do with whatever he had given us. And what Jesus is trying to show us is that anxiety actually helps create more distance between us and God because we begin to see ourselves in an inadequate way. You know, as I continue to do ministry, I see how difficult it is for many of us to really recognize and understand what a heavenly father might look like. Because for many of us, we grew up in a situation, we grew up in a home where our fathers were distant. They were disconnected. They were discouraging toward us. They were disappointed with us. And there was a chasm in that relationship. And within every single one of us, we were born with the desire to be closely connected with a father. And the reason is because we have a heavenly father. And so oftentimes we look at our heavenly father the same way we look at our earthly father, distant, disconnected, disappointed, discouraged with us. But I think when we begin to see an accurate view of God, then we see that he's not interested in being distant. His priority is actually a very close proximity to our life. And when I begin to understand that close proximity, it changes the way I see myself. I see myself as valuable. And then when I see myself as valuable, I see that my life has worth, that my life has weight, then I can begin to rest when that anxiety begins to rage up. Several years ago, when my oldest was probably about two years old, we still lived in Dallas, and every single night, putting him to bed, we pray with him. And I remember laying there, and we always do something funny. We're always laughing together right before they go to sleep. And I thought it would be a good idea to impress my two-year-old with shadow puppets. And you probably have some much greater shadow puppet skills than I have. All I got's the dog. You know, it's just like this. It's like, hey, see that? You know, I'm barking on the wall, showing him the shadow on the wall from the light coming in from the hallway. And he's laughing. He thinks it's funny. And we have a great time. And then I pray with him. I say, good night, buddy. I'll see you in the morning. And I walk out. And just a couple minutes later, I hear Braden from his room saying, daddy. And I'm like, is Braden still awake? I hear it again, daddy. And so I go in there and he's got this panicked sound to his voice and I walk in, I'm like, Brayden, what's wrong, buddy? You're okay? What's, what's happened? He goes, puppy. And I'm like, what? And he's like, puppy. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, that was just my hand, Brayden. That was not, there, there's not a real puppy in your room. That was just a shadow of my hand on the wall. But it had freaked him out. And after I had walked out of there, his mind began to race. And he began to think illogical thoughts about the shadow he had seen on the wall. And he needed me to be there with him in close proximity so that it could settle him down, so that he could relax, he could rest, he could be still, and he could actually fall asleep. So I said, hey, do you want me to sit here and lay with you for a few minutes? He goes, yeah. So I just laid there until he fell asleep. And I think that's a picture of what God wants to be for us. 
when anxiety has gone wild in our life, he is in close proximity because he values us. He cares for us. It's why Jesus uses the illustration of the birds and the lilies. He says in verse 26, at the end of that verse, he says, are you not worth more than the birds? And then he talks about the lilies. He said, do you not think that God is more concerned about you than he is the the lilies? Of course he is because close proximity is his priority for you. He values you. Your life has worth. It's why he sent Jesus to the cross. So oftentimes we struggle with understanding what is my worth, what is my value? Do I, am I significant to anybody in this world? And the way that I can continue to remind myself that my life has weight and value and worth regardless of what's going on in this world, regardless of what anybody else in this world thinks about me is I look to the cross of Jesus and I see the price he was willing to pay for my life so that I could enjoy and I could rest in and I could be still in that close proximity of God in my life because he cares about me. He is good, he is great, he is worthy to be devoted to, but he is also deeply concerned with my life. And so when I understand these two things, it's illogical for me to begin to think that God has the ability to take me to a place with him one day when I take my last breath on this earth, but that he can't handle my problems here on this earth. That he can't manage the stress, the anxiety, and the worry. worry. What it means is it means that I can trust him with my kids. I can trust him with my relationships. I can trust him with my career. I can trust him with my finances. What he's saying is as you see God clearly and as you recognize what that means for you clearly, you can begin to rest in him. You can begin to trust him because you can't trust him and something else. You have to be fully devoted to him. But as you trust him, you obey him, you worship him, anxiety begins to recede. Anxiety begins to go away. I think the last thing that he wants us to see in this passage is that anxiety is a liar. And if I was a lot smarter and if I had prepared better this week, I could have made this all flow really well. And all you type A personalities, you would have appreciated this because what this could say is that anxiety exposes my inadequate view of the future. Because what happens for us is as we begin to feel anxiety and stress and worry in our life, what we begin to do is we begin to anticipate the future most often in a negative way. We begin to convince ourselves that the end is near. We become the prophet of doom. And we begin to think things and we think, man, this this is just gonna end bad. They're gonna say this about me. They're gonna say that about me. This is gonna end up this particular way. And we wear ourselves out. We exhaust ourselves with these thoughts of the future and how bad it's gonna be for us. You know, for some of us, anxiety is our daily cardio because it's what you use to keep your heart rate up. You're like, man, maybe this will burn some calories while we're at it. It's it's what we do. But Jesus says in this passage, he says, has worrying ever done you any good? Has it ever added an hour to the day? There's no reason to worry. You know, Dr. Charles Mayo, in some of his studies, he says that worry has a negative impact on our circulation, it has a negative impact on our hearts, and it can negatively impact our entire nervous system. He says that he's never seen a man die from being overworked, but he has seen many men die from worry. Why? Because anxiety is a liar. We begin to think and we begin to believe that if I just try to worry about this and I get so consumed with this that it's gonna make a difference tomorrow. But at the end of this passage, Jesus specifically says, tomorrow's gonna have trouble. You could just look at your neighbor right now and just look at them and just think, tomorrow that person is gonna have some trouble in their life. It's going to happen. 
But here's, the, here's where I find some confidence. This is where I find some ease in this moment. Because when I have an adequate view of God and I have an adequate view of myself, and then I understand that tomorrow is gonna have some, some trouble, it's gonna have some problems, I can rest because God's already there. He's already there. He exists beyond time. He exists outside of my world. But yet he's close in proximity with me. And if he's already there, then he can handle whatever tomorrow is going to bring. We have to stop believing the lie. So what do we do? What do we do with this? And I'm gonna just ask, don't put your worship guide away because we're gonna do something with this in just a minute. But what do we do? And I would say this, I would say to you, we need to pray. We need to pray. Look what, look what Paul says in Philippians chapter four. If you have time to turn over there or scroll on your phone, it's gonna also be on the screens. But Paul is writing to the church at Philippi and there's obviously some anxiety going on in the lives of these people. And he says this to them. You've got anxiety. Here's what we need to do. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Now we can pause right there. He says, be anxious for nothing. He's saying, hey, knock it off. He's like, just don't do it anymore. Okay, that sounds great, but that's not, that's not possible for me. I don't know about you, but that's not possible for me. So he gives us something to do. He says, hey, take this off, get rid of anxiety, get rid of the anxiousness, get rid of the stress, get rid of the worry, and instead pray. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, pray, Wes? Really, you, you just think, you think prayer is gonna solve this. And I, I, I get that, but I wanna ask you this question. Before you shut me out, I just want you to simply consider Maybe prayer doesn't seem adequate to you, but let's reflect on what you're currently doing to navigate stress and anxiety in your life. You know, for some of us, we go through seasons where we begin to think about anxiety. It's like, be anxious for nothing, but consume all the carbs you can find. Run to every comfort food. I'm just gonna keep running after the food because it makes me feel better for a moment. For others, it may be be anxious for nothing but run to Facebook and look at everybody else's life and how perfect everybody else's life seems to be. That's our tactic, that's our defense. Or maybe it's be anxious for nothing but run to the bottle for a temporary fix to numb the anxiety, to numb the pain, to push back the worry for just a season. Or maybe for others, it's be anxious for nothing but run to the store to buy clothes you can't afford that aren't even comfortable to impress the people you don't even like. And my point for us this morning is this. Our current tactics and the things we try to come up with on our own are wrecking havoc on our souls. Even secular scientists are recognizing the value of prayer. This word pray in this verse that, that Paul is talking about, it means to create space, to be still, to draw near. So what he's saying, he's saying, create some space. Mark off a time in your daily routine to just create space and just be still. And scientists are realizing that there's value in this. You can go online and you can look up study after study after study on prayer and anxiety from secular scientists. Look what this NY, an NYU study found that alcoholics that pray admit that it is easier for them to manage their emotional longings for that next drink. The Harvard medical team did a study and they found that people who pray for a specific period of time every single day find that their heart rate is slower, they have a decrease in blood pressure, and it creates a physi physiological state of control, 
alertness, and peace of mind. That's interesting because half of all doctor's visits in the United States stem from migraines, depression, high blood pressure, in large part due to stress and anxiety. The University of Pennsylvania did a study on Franciscan nuns who have a disciplined time of prayer every single day, and they found that these nuns had a higher dopamine level than you and me, than the average person. What does that mean? It means that they're happier than us. I don't think that that's a coincidence. The National Institute of Health said that people who pray daily are 40% less likely to be treated for high blood pressure. Do you see this? The smartest people in the world are studying the human body in laboratories and finding that prayer is a, is, a, is, a, is a technique to push back stress and anxiety in our life. One of the most recent Pew Research studies found that one in four people in the United States, one in four adults, claim to be a nun. And that's not a Franciscan nun, it's a nun, N-O-N-E, which means that they, they connect to or associate with no religious affiliation. 62% of those who claim to be a nun say they have never prayed in their entire life. I don't think it's a coincidence that as prayer is on the decline in our country, that anxiety is on the rise. Jesus knew this thousands of years ago. Paul knew this thousands of years ago. And so I think we can take some value in prayer. And so Paul says to pray. And it's interesting, there's a word in that where he says, let your request be known to God. Let me geek out on that word for a second. That word, let your request be known, what he's saying, he's saying, let it rise up. You know, so many of us, we wake up every single morning and before our feet hit the floor, we are overwhelmed with all that has to happen that day. And we begin to anticipate the day. And we can't even think straight. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, just, just let it all out. This word, let it rise, let it out, it's, it's this picture of something trying to get out of something, something trying to escape. And what oftentimes we do is we, we get out of bed and we begin to go about our day and we just push it all back. I can manage this, I can manage this. I don't need to talk about it, I don't need to think about it, I don't need to address it, I just need to go about my day. And what Paul would say to us this morning is he would say, let it, let us, let it escape, let it rise, let it come to the surface, recognize it. And so what I do, this is something that I've done for years. And guys, I know this might be kind of weird for you and it, it, it's kind of weird for me to tell you about this, but I love to sit down and journal. And you're like, Wes writes in a diary. <laughs> no, it's a journal, it's different. <laughs> but here's my point. There are times and there are seasons where I sit down with that journal and I just begin to write and it makes no sense to anybody else. My high school English teacher would probably look at it and have a panic attack because it, there's no grammatical accuracy, but I just start pouring out everything that my mind is thinking. All my anxiety, all my stress, all my worry, I let it rise and I let it come out. This is what Paul is talking about. And look what he says in verse eight, I mean in verse seven. The result of that, he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying, he's saying, hey, if you let that rise, recognize it, express it, let it be known that it's there. He says, the peace of Jesus will be with you. What he's saying is it says that you now have a bodyguard, the peace of Jesus. And so when you begin to navigate your day and anxiety begins to creep in, stress begins to show up, fear begins to show up, Memories from the past begin to kind of show up in your mind. The peace of Jesus says, nope, you don't belong here. Stay away. 
I'm protecting him today. I'm protecting her today. So Paul would encourage us to just let it rise. Let this be something we do in our prayer time, creating this space to just let it rise. But he continues on. It can't stop there. Verse 8, he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. There are times in my life where I start praying and it's all over the place. I mean, it is stressed, it is anxiety, it is worry, and it's like, God, I need you to do this, 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 this. I'm overwhelmed by this, 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 amen. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Those are freak out prayers <laughs> and they're not very effective. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, let it all rise and then just sit and begin to think, begin to reflect back. Think on what was good today. Think on the good of this week. Think on what God has gifted you with, what he has given you in your life. Think about your kids, think about your spouse, think about your parents, think about your family, think about the good. Take it a step further. Begin to reflect on God's word. Begin to think, but go back and read a proverb a day and think about the good. Go, back, go and read a chapter of John every single day and begin to know more about Jesus. Think and dwell on these things is what Paul is saying. Dwell on it. You know, for some of us, we have trouble going to sleep at night. I am one of those. Hi, my name is Wes and I have trouble falling asleep. So you know what I have to do sometimes? I have to not just dump it all out and let all my stress and anxiety rise to the top. I have to take some time, some intentional time at night to continue to journal and just dwell on what's good. Maybe for some of us, the step we need to take tonight is before we start our week, we just need to sit, let it all rise, and then just dwell on the good. And you're like, Wes, it's Sunday night, winter's coming. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. That's another day. But instead of going there, maybe you, the biggest thing you need to do in your life right now is just take some time to just dwell on the good. And then look what happens, the last verse. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, let it rise. Create a space, be still, let it rise. And then dwell on these things, dwell on what's good, dwell on what's godly, dwell on what's great. And then as you begin to do that, you're gonna to begin to understand more and more and more of who God is and what that means for you. And you're gonna be able to put some of these things into practice in your life. And not only is the peace of God going to be with you, but he says that the God of peace will be with you. Come on, I need the God of peace in my life. And Paul gives us a promise on how to make that happen. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm about to create an awkward situation for some of us. For some of you, this is gonna be great. For others of us, especially dudes, <laughs> this is gonna be a little bit awkward, it's gonna be a little bit tense, but I think God does some of his greatest work in our lives when there's tension in our lives. Some of the strongest trees in the world are in the windiest places of the world. So what I'm gonna do in just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna walk off the stage, and there's gonna be some soft music playing for just about a minute, and I'm gonna ask that you don't get up and you don't leave you're like, man, I got anxiety about getting out of here, getting my kids and beating the traffic. Well, when you do that, you're gonna create anxiety for everybody else to think the same thing. So I'm gonna ask that you just stay seated for just a little bit and just sit in this moment. And maybe you need to take out your worship guide and you just need to spend some time writing, reflecting, let it all out, let it be a mind dump. Nobody else is gonna read it. I'm not gonna walk by and be like, wow, dude, you got some issues. I, it's, it's all for you and God. And then the band's gonna come out and they're gonna sing a song over us so that we can dwell on what's good. Dwell on God. 
Will you bow your heads for a moment? Father, we pray for the Amber Alert. And God, we do ask that you would work in that situation, whatever it is, but I know that right now you wanna do some work in our lives. God, we simply wanna be still. God, I pray that you would allow all our anxiety, all of our stress, all of our worry just to rise up, to come to the surface. Would we recognize it? Would we see it? Would we trust you with it? And then once we do that, would you just fill us up in this next few minutes? God, we give you this time. I pray that you would use this time and that this would become a daily discipline in our life and that we would see breakthrough happen and that our anxiety would no longer dominate our lives. We trust you in the next few minutes in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, we thank you that you care about what's going on in our lives. You're concerned for what we're concerned with. But nothing that concerns us has the ability to push you back or to push you out. God, I pray that we would rest in that confidence this morning. I pray that as we leave this place, that what you've spoken to us with what we've experienced, would it, it would go out and it would continue to work in our lives this week. I pray that stress and anxiety and worry would have no control over us. I pray for clear minds. I pray for the ability to navigate life in the most God-honoring way because we believe that when we honor you, that our lives are the best. So give us that confidence, give us that peace, give us that hope this week. We love you. We trust you with everything, even our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.